Nothanger Abbey by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 11. Previously on Northanger Abbey, we meet Catherine Moreland, a 17-year-old, naive young woman from the middle of nowhere, on vacation in Bath with Mr. and Mrs. Allen. They wander around, they don't know anybody. The first person they meet is Mr. Tilney, and he dances, and they have a cute little flirtation. And Catherine has a huge old crush on him, but then he disappears off the face of the earth, and they don't know where he went. And instead, they run into Mrs. Thorpe and her three daughters, the eldest of whom is Isabella. Isabella and Catherine become the best buds immediately. They read novels together. It's great. And then their brothers show up, both James Moreland and John Thorpe. And it's very quickly becomes known that Isabella and James have a flirtation together. Isabella is making it very clear that she is into James, and James is also showing his partiality, and they spend a lot of time together, although it's very much going over Catherine's head because she is so naive she does not get it. And, of course, Mr. Thorpe is just the worst, very self-centered, very rude, very obnoxious, not fun to spend time with, which is a which poor Catherine finds out because she has to go on a carriage ride with him where he is not a nice man to spend a couple hours stuck in a carriage with because his conversation is just not good. He's not overtly mean to her, but just rude, just not fun, doesn't like it. But luckily for Catherine, Mr. Tilney is back and she also gets to meet his meet his sister Miss Tilney and she becomes a little bit of friends with Miss Tilney and she gets to dance again with Mr. Tilney and they have another little flirtatious conversation that is so cute and she has set up a time to go on a country walk with them tomorrow morning she gets to go on a walk with Mr. and Miss Tilney and life is good again and that is where we've left off as we enter into chapter 11 The morrow brought a very sober-looking morning, the sun making only a few efforts to appear, and Catherine augured from it everything most favorable to her wishes. A bright morning so early in the year she allowed would generally turn to rain, but a cloudy one foretold improvement as the day advanced. She applied to Mr. Allen for confirmation of her hopes, but Mr. Allen, not having his own skies and barometer about him, declined giving any absolute promise of sunshine. She applied to Mrs. Allen, and Mrs. Allen's opinion was more positive. She had no doubt in the world of its being a very fine day, if the clouds would only go off and the sun keep out. At about eleven o'clock, however, a few specks of small rain upon the windows caught Catherine's watchful eye, and, "'Oh, dear, I do believe it will be wet!' broke from her in a most desponding tone. "'I thought how it would be,' said Mrs. Allen. "'No walk for me to-day,' sighed Catherine. But "'Perhaps it may come to nothing, or it may hold up before twelve. "'Perhaps it may, but then, my dear, it will be so dirty.' "'Oh, that will not signify. I never mind dirt.' "'No,' replied her friend very placidly. "'I know you never mind dirt.' "'After a short pause, it comes on faster and faster,' said Catherine, as she stood watching at the window. "'So it does indeed. If it keeps raining, the streets will be very wet. "'There are four umbrellas up already. How oh, I hate the sight of an umbrella.' 
They are disagreeable things to carry. I would much rather take a chair at any time. It was such a nice-looking morning. I felt so convinced it would be dry. Anybody would have thought so indeed. There will be very few people in the pump room if it rains all the morning. I hope Mr. Allen will put on his greatcoat when he goes, but I dare say he will not, for he had rather do anything in the world than walk out in a greatcoat. I wonder he should dislike it. It must be so comfortable. The rain continued, fast, though not heavy. Catherine went every five minutes to the clock, threatening on each return that, if it still kept on raining another five minutes, she would give up the matter as hopeless. The clock struck twelve, and it still rained. You will not be able to go, my dear. I do not quite despair yet. I shall not give up till a quarter after twelve. This is just the time of day for it to clear up, and I do think it looks a little lighter. There. It is twenty minutes after twelve, and now I shall give it up entirely. Oh, that we had such weather as they had at Udolpho, or at least in Tuscany in the south of France, the night that poor St. Aubin died. Such beautiful weather! At half-past twelve, when Catherine's anxious attention to the weather was over, and she could no longer claim any merit from its amendment, the sky began voluntarily to clear. A gleam of sunshine took her quite by surprise. She looked round, the clouds were parting, and she instantly returned to the window to watch over and encourage the happy appearance. Ten minutes more made it certain that a bright afternoon would succeed, and justified the opinion of Mrs. Allen, who had always thought it would clear up. But whether Catherine might still expect her friends, whether there had not been too much rain for Miss Tilney to venture, must yet be a question. And so we proceed to the next morning when Catherine is waiting not so patiently for her anticipated walk with the Tilneys. And she is spending the day staring out the window, looking and hoping for the weather to be good. And we get to see a little bit more of Mrs. Allen, Mrs. Allen bringing kind of the humor to this scene, agreeing with everything Catherine says and changing her opinion constantly. Catherine laments the umbrellas and the rain when it comes and is hopeful that it will clear up. Although I like the very beginning where it says that Catherine thought that because it was cloudy, it would be a nice day versus if it had been sunny, then that meant that it would rain. So she's kind of doing these weird jumps of logic to try and make the weather what she wants it to be even though it is not. And so the rain is coming, they're waiting, Catherine's very upset, well, not too upset, but she's very nervous about the rain because it means that she won't get to go on her walk. And by the time it struck 12, which is when the Tilneys are supposed to come, it is still raining. And so she's starting to give up on her walk, though she's saying she's not going to despair yet. She's gonna wait a little bit, see if it clears up quickly. She is able to throw in a little mention of Udolpho and how good the weather was in the book, apparently. But still, it's still raining, and at half past, so at 12.30, still raining. And she couldn't think that anything could happen, and the walk is over, and she's just given up all hope. But at just that moment, the sun comes out, and it starts to clear up. And she goes to the window to watch, it says to watch, to encourage the happy occurrence because she needs to watch the sun come out to make sure it's actually happening. 
And Mrs. Allen then always thought it would clear up because her opinion just changes constantly and it doesn't matter what she just said. Um, and so then Catherine is wondering whether or not they'll come because it's now 12.30, so a little bit later. And so it really depends on whether they've been watching as closely and whether they're willing to go out in the dirt, which I think they mean here as mud. That's what I'm taking it to mean anyway. And when they keep saying it's dirty and there's dirt out, I'm reading that as mud. Um, because they keep talking about it in, in terms of rain. This is the second time they've used that after, I think, they talk about dirt with rain. So I'm taking that to mean mud. Um, but in either case, now she's anxiously waiting to see whether the Tilneys might or might not come because it's after the time they were supposed to come, but the rain has now stopped. It was too dirty for Mrs. Allen to accompany her husband to the pump room. He accordingly set off by himself, and Catherine had barely watched him down the street when her notice was claimed by the approach of the same two open carriages, containing the same three people, that had surprised her so much a few mornings back. "'Isabella, my brother, and Mr. Thorpe, I declare. They are coming for me, perhaps. But I shall not go. I cannot go, indeed, for you know Miss Tilney may still call.' Mrs. Allen agreed to it. John Thorpe was soon with them, and his voice was with them yet sooner, for on the stairs he was calling out to Miss Morland to be quick. "'Make haste! Make haste!' As he threw open the door, "'Put on your hat this moment! There is no time to be lost! We are going to Bristol!' "'How do you do, Mrs. Allen?' "'To Bristol? It is not that a great way off. But, however, I cannot go with you today, because I am engaged. I expect some friends every moment.' This was, of course, vehemently talked down as no reason at all. Mrs. Allen was called on to second him and the two others walked in to give their assistance. "'My sweetest Catherine, is not this delightful? We shall have a most heavenly drive. You are to thank your brother and me for the scheme. It darted into our heads at breakfast time, I verily believe, at the same instant, and we should have been off two hours ago, if it had not been for this detestable rain. But it does not signify. The nights are moonlight, and we shall do delightfully. Oh, I am in such ecstasies at the thought of a little country air and quiet, so much better than going to the lower rooms. We shall drive directly to Clifton and dine there, and, as soon as dinner is over, if there is time for it, go on to King's Weston. I doubt our being able to do so much, said Morland. "'You croaking fellow!' cried Thorpe. "'We shall be able to do ten times more. "'King's Weston Eye and Blaze Castle, too, "'and anything else we can hear of. "'But here is your sister says she will not go.' "'Blaze Castle!' cried Catherine. "'What is that?' "'The finest place in England, "'worth going fifty miles at any time to see. "'What, is it really a castle? "'An old castle? "'The oldest in the kingdom. "'But is it like what one reads of?' "'Exactly, the very same.' But now, really, are there towers and long galleries? By dozens. Then I should like to see it. But I cannot, I cannot go. Not go, my beloved creature. What do you mean? I cannot go because, looking down as she spoke, fearful of Isabella's smile, I expect Miss Tilney and her brother to call on me to take a country walk. They promised to come at twelve, only it rained. But now, as it is so fine, I dare say they will be here soon. Not they indeed, cried Thorpe. For, as we turned into Broad Street, I saw them. Does he not drive a phaeton with bright chestnuts? I do not know indeed. Well, yes, I know he does. I saw him. You are talking of the man you danced with last night, are you not? 
Yes. Well, I saw him in, at that moment turn up the Lansdowne Road, driving a smart-looking girl. Did you indeed? Did upon my soul. Knew him again directly, and he seemed to have got some very pretty cattle, too. It is very odd, but I suppose they thought it would be too dirty for a walk. And well, they might, for I never saw so much dirt in my life. Walk. You could no more walk than you could fly. It has not been so dirty the whole winter. It is ankle-deep everywhere. Isabella corroborated it. My dearest Catherine, you cannot form an idea of the dirt. Come, you must go. You cannot refuse going now. I should like to see the castle, but may we go all over it? May we go up every staircase and into every suite of rooms? Yes, yes, every hole and corner. But then, if they should only be gone out for an hour till it is drier and call by and by... Make yourself easy, there's no danger of that, for I heard Tilney hallooing to a man who was just passing by on horseback, that they were going as far as Wick Rocks. Then I will. Shall I go, Mrs. Allen? Just as you please, my dear. Mrs. Allen, you must persuade her to go, was the general cry. Mrs. Allen was not inattentive to it. Well, my dear, said she, suppose you go. And in two minutes they were off. And here we have the section in which Catherine gets talked in to being rude. So this whole section of the chapter is Catherine being talked into going on an outing with Mr. Thorpe and Isabella and James. And they use two main methods. One is the talk of Blaze Castle, which makes her actually want to go on the outing. Because if they weren't going to Blaze Castle... My interpretation of this is that she's not particularly interested in going on a carriage ride with Mr. Thorpe again. She had a pretty miserable time last time, so there's no reason to think that she'd want to necessarily go with them again. And I think that when she first sees them out the window and says she's not going to go, that's where my mind goes, is that originally she doesn't intend to go on this trip with them and the carriage ride because... She's well, A, because she's waiting for the Tilneys, but also I don't think she has a strong inclination to want to go with them. But once they mention Blaze Castle, she is interested in that. And so she is interested in going on this trip with them to Blaze Castle because it's a castle. Because she wants to see a castle because she's thinking of, you know, drafty hallways and all the gothic descriptions of castles in her novels that she reads. And so she wants to see a spooky castle. That's basically the thing. She doesn't really care about the ride so much as she would like to see a castle. Now there's a little background information that I think also makes this section make more sense. The first thing that I think you should know is that Blaze Castle is not what Mr. Thorpe is saying it is or that Catherine is expecting. It's not an old gothic castle where Mr. Thorpe says that it's the oldest in the kingdom. That's a flat-out lie. It's a relatively modern building. Um, so I looked it up, and Blaze Castle, it says, was built in 1766, which does make it a pretty old building now, but if we're looking at this particular novel being based in, I believe, the 1790s is what we're looking at. Um, so it's not... So we're looking at a building that's maybe 30 years old. It's not ancient. It's not medieval. It's not what 
Catherine wants it to be and what John Thorpe is telling her that it is. So they're using this bait of Blaze Castle, but I'm assuming John Thorpe knows that it's not what Catherine wants it to be. Um, maybe he doesn't. I have no actual evidence that he knows what Blaze Castle is, other than a tourist destination they can talk of going towards. But he is either aware of what Blaze Castle actually is, which is a relatively modern building that would be a big grand building you could go tour and see, but is not a gothic castle like Catherine is expecting it to be. Um, so he either knows that and is flat out lying, which is definitely possible, or he has no clue what Blaze Castle is like because he's never been there and has never really paid attention and just knows the name and knows that it's at this destination where they can try to go and is saying what he he thinks Catherine wants to hear to get her to agree to the trip and it doesn't matter that he doesn't know whether what he's saying is true or not. So he's either flat out lying or he doesn't know that what he's saying is a lie but he's pretending to have knowledge he doesn't have. Either way, not great for Thorpe. Another instance of Thorpe at the very least stretching the truth. The other thing I think you need to know about this proposed trip that kind of changes things is we're looking at going from Bath to Bristol, which is about 15 miles, and they didn't have cars, so they're going in a carriage, and despite what Mr. Thorpe likes to say, they can go about seven miles an hour. So seven miles an hour, 15 miles, that's about a two-hour drive or a two-hour carriage ride to get to Bristol. So we're talking about, for round trip, just carriage ride, if the roads are good and, you know, we're also talking seven miles an hour on good roads and things and it's just been raining all morning. So it might be muddy and they might be slightly slower than that. But if we give them the benefit of the doubt that the roads are good and it's not too muddy and they're making good time, it's about a two hour drive one way. So about four hours total. It's winter. So the days are pretty short and it's already 1230. So we're looking at if they literally just drove there and straight back, they wouldn't get back till 4.30. I don't know exactly what time dusk would be, but we're looking, I think the time frame is, we're probably in February right now. So the days are relatively short. So even if they drove straight there and straight back, I'm assuming that it gets dark pretty soon after 4.30. So it doesn't leave them a lot of time to be in Bristol um, and do anything touristy, which is why Moreland is... James Moreland is saying we won't have much time to do other things like go to Blaze Castle and go on to King's Weston, um, which Thorpe is saying that they can do all this stuff. They have plenty of time. And James Moreland says that they that he doubts they have time to do all that much because with the time frame they're looking at if they stop and eat in Bristol with that four hour drive and how late in the day it already is and not wanting to drive too much in the dark. Although later they do say that, you know, the, the moon will be out so they can ride home in the dark without too much trouble. But I think that you're supposed to see that this is a sort of harebrained scheme. It doesn't make a lot of sense. They really, for this type of trip to Bristol, should have left first thing in the morning to have all day to be able to do this. This is the point I'm trying to make is that this trip that they're proposing to go to Bristol and be able to go around Blaze Castle, especially the way they're talking about being able to go all over the castle and into all the different rooms and things, 
to be able to do something like that in the time frame they're talking about really is not feasible. That is an all-day trip, not a half-day trip. And they really just don't have the time to do what they are proposing to do in any realistic such situation. And I think that that is something that the readers of the time, I think Jane Austen is assuming that you would know those two things so that you realize how sort of ridiculous this plan is. Um, because that helps to also just showcase the characters of Mr. Thorpe and Isabella that they are proposing this trip. Although I suppose James is in on it too, so James maybe too. Um, but that they're proposing this trip that doesn't make a lot of sense and John Thorpe is very specifically saying that we can do all this stuff, we have plenty of time, we can, you know, go to Bristol and then we can go to Blaze Castle and then we can go to King's Weston when realistically they're barely going to have time to get there, like take a pit stop, have some tea and come back again in the time frame that we're talking about. And so I just wanted to make that part clear that this trip is kind of dumb from the get go. It is not well thought out or well planned and I think that that is on purpose because it is planned by the Thorpes and they are not that big on considering these details and we get a little bit of that from James Moreland kind of cautioning them and saying yeah no not really we're not gonna have time to do all that all those things and then Thorpe just kind of rolls right over him and keeps going and calls him a croaking fellow for having said that so anyway getting back on track so Blaze Castle is one of the ways that they're trying to talk her into it that's kind of their carrot the goal that would make her want to go with them but I don't think that would have been enough the other thing that they're using is that Thorpe is going to tell Catherine that Miss Tilney and her brother Mr. Tilney are on a ride by themselves or at least Mr. Tilney is out on a on a ride down Lansdowne Road driving a smart looking girl which I think he's trying to make her think that he's taking some other girl on a carriage ride and abandoning Catherine. So this, uh, the second thing that they're doing is trying to convince her that the Tilneys have ditched her and that they're not coming and so there's no reason to wait for them. And I think that is the part that actually works because they bring out the Blaze Castle thing first and that gets her a little closer but she still says I cannot go. And then they bring out the Tilney situation and says, and John Thorpe says that he saw Mr. Tilney driving away. And even then she's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe they're only going out for an hour. They might be back soon. And then he says, oh, no, I heard him say that they're going all the way to Wick Rocks. Which is a destination that is apparently far enough away to make it clear that they won't be coming back quickly or within the hour. Um, making it clear that they would not be able to go on the walk and that is what convinces Catherine to go is believing that the Tilneys have you know gone off without her and have decided against the walk they also say that there's way too much dirt for the, her to go on a walk that it's ankle deep everywhere you cannot imagine how much dirt there is that's by Isabella and so she is convinced to go on the ride and then they talk to Mrs. Allen, and Mrs. Allen is again showing her wishy-washiness, where she just agrees with whatever anybody just said, because she agrees that she should go without really any persuasion at all. 
And they are off. Catherine's feelings as she got into the carriage were in a very unsettled state, divided between regret for the loss of one great pleasure and the hope of soon enjoying another, almost its equal in degree, however unlike in kind. She could not think the Tilneys had acted quite well by her, and so readily giving up their engagement, without sending her any messenger of excuse. It was now but an hour later than the time fixed on for the beginning of their walk, and, in spite of what she had heard of the prodigious accumulation of dirt in the course of that hour, she could not from her own observation help thinking that they might have gone on with very little inconvenience. To feel herself slighted by them was very painful. On the other hand, the delight of exploring an edifice like Udolpho, as her fancy represented Blaze Castle to be, was such a counterpoise of good as might console her for almost anything. They passed briskly down Pulteney Street, and through Laurel Place, without the exchange of many words. Thorpe talked to his horse, and she meditated, by turns on broken promises and broken arches, phaetons and false hangings, tilney and trapdoors. As they entered Argyle Buildings, however, she was roused by this address from her companion. Who is that girl who looked at you so hard as we went by? Who? Where? On the right-hand pavement. She must be almost out of sight now. Catherine looked round and saw Miss Tilney leaning on her brother's arm, walking slowly down the street. She saw them both looking back at her. "'Stop! Stop, Mr. Thorpe!' she impatiently cried. "'It is Miss Tilney! It is indeed! How could you tell me they were gone? Stop! Stop! I will get out this moment and go to them!' But to what purpose did she speak? Thorpe only lashed his horse into a brisker trot. The Tilneys, who had soon ceased to look after her, were in a moment out of sight round the corner of Laura Place and in another moment she was herself whisked into the marketplace. Still, however, and during the length of another street, she entreated him to stop. Pray, pray, stop, Mr. Thorpe. I cannot go on. I will not go on. I must go back to Miss Tilney. But Mr. Thorpe only laughed, smacked his whip, encouraged his horse, made odd noises, and drove on. And Catherine, angry and vexed as she was, having no power of getting away, was obliged to give up the point and submit. Her reproaches, however, were not spared. How could you deceive me so, Mr. Thorpe? How could you say that you saw them driving up the Lansdowne Road? I would not have had it happen for the world. They must think it so strange, so rude of me. To go by them, too, without saying a word, you do not know how vexed I am. I shall have no pleasure at Clifton, nor in anything else. I had rather, ten thousand times rather, get out now and walk back to them. How could you say you saw them driving out in a phaeton? Thorpe defended himself very stoutly declared he had never seen two men so much alike in his life, and would hardly give up the point of its having been Tilney himself. Their drive, even when this subject was over, was not likely to be very agreeable. Catherine's complacence was no longer what it had been on their fur former airing. She listened reluctantly, and her replies were short. Blaze Castle remained her only comfort. Towards that, she still looked at intervals with pleasure, Though rather than be disappointed of the promised walk, and especially rather than being thought ill of by the Tilneys, she would willingly have given up all the happiness which its walls could supply. The happiness of a progress through a long suite of lofty rooms exhibiting the remains of magnificent furniture, though now for many years deserted. The happiness of being stopped in their way along narrow, winding vaults by low, grated door. Or even of having their lamp, their only lamp, 
extinguished by a sudden gust of wind and of being left in total darkness. In the meanwhile, they proceeded on their journey without any mischance, and were within view of the town of Canisham, when a halloo from Moreland, who was behind them, made his friend pull up, to know what was the matter. The others then came close enough for conversation, and Moreland said, "'We had better go back, Thorpe. It is too late to go on today. Your sister thinks so as well as I. We have been exactly an hour coming from Pulteney Street, very little more than seven miles, and I suppose we have at least eight more to go. It will never do. We set out a great deal too late. We had much better pull it, put it off till another day, and turn round.' "'It is all one to me,' replied Thorpe rather angrily, and instantly turning his horse, they were on their way back to Bath. "'If your brother had not got such a damn beast to drive,' said he soon afterwards, "'we might have done it very well. My horse would have trotted to Clifton within the hour, if left to himself, and I have almost broke my arm with pulling him into that cursed, broken-winded jade's pace. Moreland is a fool for not keeping a horse and gig of his own.' "'No, he is not.' said Catherine warmly, for I am sure he could not afford it. And why cannot he afford it? Because he has not money enough? And whose fault is that? Nobody's that I know of. Thorpe then said something in the loud, incoherent way to which he had often recourse, about its being a damned thing to be miserly, and that if people who rolled in money could not afford things, he did not know who could, which Catherine did not even endeavor to understand. Disappointed of what was to have been the consolation for her first disappointment, she was less and less disposed either to be agreeable herself or to find her companion so, and they returned to Pulteney Street without her speaking twenty words. And here we have the ride itself, and we quickly find out that Mr. Thorpe has lied to Catherine yet again. I think it would be quicker just to list the things Thorpe has been truthful about, because that list seems to have nothing on it. But, in any case, he has lied again and told Catherine that the Tilneys left in a carriage and instead she sees them almost immediately on the street walking towards Pulteney Street where she's been staying. And she yells at Thorpe to stop his carriage and he won't and he actually goes faster to get her out and then, until they're too far away and she really can't go back to them and she is really mad. But Mr. Thorpe only laughed. And we hear a bunch of Catherine saying, Oh, they'll think it's so strange, so rude of me, too, without a word. And I'm not going to have any fun in Clifton because I'm so upset. And here again we see a bit of growth in Catherine, in my opinion, because now this is the first time that, well, the Thorpes lie to her all the time, and now this time finally Catherine is actually standing up for herself and saying, why did you lie to me? Why would you do that? And he doesn't get much of an answer. Well, really, any answer at all. Because Thorpe just says, oh, he must have looked just like him. I swear I saw him and is not even ready to give up the point of its having been Tilney himself. So even though they just saw Tilney on the street, he's kind of giving her, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Um, trying to convince her that he didn't lie to her and that she didn't just see Tilney on the street there. So she's still stuck in the carriage. She wasn't able to get out. So she's hopeful that Blaze Castle will be exactly what she wants it to be. And she'll, and that's her one hope that to kind of salvage the day is Blaze Castle. And she has all these imaginings of Blaze Castle, which is this old historic Gothic castle, which Blaze Castle is not. Um, and then even that is taken away from her. Because they pull up 
they've made it about halfway if they've gone seven miles. Um, and Mr. Moreland, James Moreland comes up and says, we have to go back. We've only made it, you know, this far. We've only got made it a little more than seven miles and we've got at least eight more to go. We basically, we don't have enough time. We've made it too, we've waited too late in the day which anyone should have known before they even started off because if they've been going for an hour and they've made it a little over seven miles that's exactly what you would expect they're making standard time so they just did not plan this well but either way it's too late we don't have enough time to really make it there let's just turn back and thorpe has a little bit of a hissy fit fit saying it's all one to me and they turn back but he, of course, has to blame James for saying that they only didn't make it because James has a stupid slow horse and my horse would have gone so much faster. I was holding him back this whole time. And again, I don't believe Jim I don't believe Mr. Thorpe about this. Um, we've had no indication that he was holding his horse back so much. He says he almost broke his arm how with how hard he was holding his horse back because it wanted to go so much faster. There's no reason to believe him when he says that. He's just... A bragging liar who can't take responsibility for anything, even that he came up with a stupid plan to go to Bristol when they didn't have enough time to make it to Bristol. And then he says that Moreland should have his own horse and his own gig, and Catherine says, well, he doesn't have enough money for it. And then he makes this comment about whose fault it is that James doesn't have the money. And Catherine says, nobody's that I know of. And then Thorpe goes off, and we don't get the exact words of what he says, but it makes it clear to the reader that, I think, or it's supposed to make it clear, that he is he thinks the Morelands have a lot of money. He thinks they're rich. And I'm not sure if this is the first time we for sure know that the Thorpes think the Morelands are rich, but this definitely is, I think, meant to for sure clue in the reader that Mr. Thorpe thinks the Morelands have money, somehow. And we know that he's already been talking about Mr. Allen, and assuming that Catherine has some interest in Mr. Allen's money, because she spent so much time with them. And so I'm not clear if maybe they think that the Allens should be able to afford a gig and horse for James, and that he should be getting money from the Allens too, or if the Morelands themselves just have money. But somehow he thinks that there is more money in play here than than there actually is because the Morelands are not like destitute and poor but they're not this crazy wealthy family either and carriages and taking care of carriages are very very expensive to do so a lot of people don't have them um you rent them it's just much more economical um especially if you don't really need one every day which most people don't in this situation you know so I just think that it's important to point that particular paragraph out where he's talking about how they're being miserly and people who rolled in money could not afford things he did not know who could. He's implying that James Moreland or the Morelands in general somehow are rolling in money, which is just not true. Um, we're, pretty, we're not clear on the exact finances of it, but the book has made it pretty clear so far, I think, that they're not this crazy rich family. So they're not rolling in money, but Thorpe thinks there is, and I think that that's an important thing to note, that Thorpe thinks that they are rich when they are not. And again, all this information goes right over Catherine's head because she'd not even 
trying to understand. She did not even endeavor to understand. So she's not even trying to understand this. She's not really even paying attention to what he's saying because she's so upset and mad at everybody because her day has just been completely ruined. She was supposed to go on a walk with the Tilneys and instead she got another horrible little carriage ride with Thorpe, which she didn't want in the first place. And they didn't even make it to the castle that she was promised. And she finds out that they lied about the Tilneys not coming, so she also was rude to the Tilneys, and she's worried that the Tilneys might think badly about her and be mad at her, and I think that's the worst thing. She doesn't want the Tilneys to be mad at her, especially not Mr. Tilney, because she is trying so hard to impress the Tilneys. And now she has been kind of unpardonably rude to them in her mind, and I think, in reality, she has been talked into being rude, because she did what she was mad at the Tilneys for having done when the Th when Thorpe told her that they left she was mad and sad that they had ditched her but now his lie has made her actually do it in reality so she ditched them and so Thorpe has talked her into being very rude to the Tilneys and I think that's the worst part of this is she's so upset that she has been coerced into being rude to the Tilneys As she entered the house, the footman told her that a gentleman and lady had called and inquired for her a few minutes after her setting off, that, when he told them she was gone out with Mr. Thorpe, the lady had asked whether any message had been left for her, and on his saying no, had felt for a card, but said she had none about her and went away. Pondering over these heart-rending tidings, Catherine walked slowly upstairs. At the head of them she was met by Mr. Allen, who, on hearing the reason of their speedy return, said, "'I am glad your brother had so much sense.' I am glad you are come back. It was a strange, wild scheme. They all spent the evening together at Thorpe's. Catherine was disturbed and out of spirits, but Isabella seemed to find a pool of commerce, in the fate of which she shared, by private partnership with Moreland, a very good equivalent for her the quiet and country air of an inn at Clifton. Her satisfaction, too, in not being at the lower rooms was spoken more than once. How I pity the poor creatures that are going there! How glad I am that I am not amongst them! I wonder whether it will be full ball or not. They have not begun dancing yet. I would not be there for all the world. It is so delightful to have an evening now and then to oneself. I dare say it will not be a very good ball. I know the Mitchells will not be there. I am sure I pity everybody that is. But I dare say, Mr. Moreland, you long to be at it, do you not? I am sure you do. Well, pray do not let anybody here be a restraint on you. I dare say we could do very well without you. But you men think yourselves of such consequence. Catherine could almost have accused Isabella of being wanting in tenderness towards herself and her sorrows. So very little did they appear to dwell on her mind, and so very inadequate was the comfort she offered. Do not be so dull, my dearest creature, she whispered. You will quite break my heart. It was amazingly shocking, to be sure. But the Tilneys were entirely to blame. Why were not they more punctual? It was dirty indeed, but what did that signify? I am sure John and I should not have minded it. I never mind going through anything where a friend is concerned. That is my disposition. And John is just the same. He has amazing strong feelings. 
Good heavens, what a delightful hand you have got. Kings, I vow. I never was so happy in my life. I would fifty times rather you have them than myself. And now I may dismiss my heroine to the sleepless couch, which is the true heroine's portion, to a pillow strewed with thorns and wet with tears. And lucky may she think herself if she get another good night's rest in the course of the next three months. And thus ends chapter 11. So here we come back and we find out for sure that the Tilneys did call on them, although we don't have the exact name. We have a gentleman and a lady called and inquired after her, which pretty clearly are the Tilneys, since she saw them on the street not very far from the house, that they asked for a message and didn't leave a card because the lady didn't have one. And then she ponders over these heart-rending tidings. And I, I think it just shows again how rude her behavior looks then because the only real excuse would be that there's something came up but she really should have either sent a note or left a note to let the Tilneys know and the only reason she didn't is she was not expecting them she was convinced by what Thorpe told her that they were gone and they weren't coming to come see her and so she was just very rude to them she did not do what the what she should have done, which was either wait for them, or if she couldn't, if something else came up, she should have sent a note, which is what she was kind of berating them in her head about when she first left, was that how could they not have sent a note if they weren't going to come? Um, so it just kind of is putting a blaring light on how rude her behavior was, or it very much looks like to the Tilneys. Um, and then she's, we see Mr. Allen, who again points out that, you know, it was such a strange, wild scheme for them to try and make it to Bristol that day, which is true. It was a dumb plan, and he's glad that they came back. And then they spend the evening at the Thorpes' lodgings, and Catherine is very out of spirits, but Isabella doesn't seem to care, even though she has mentioned many times that, you know, she's best friends with her. And so they're playing a game, a card game, and that seems to be her satisfaction. She says she doesn't want to go to the ball, but that's all she can talk about. She just keeps talking about the ball and how good it is, and, oh, it's awful, I'm sure. But who's there? And has the dancing started yet? And... It's very clear that she would much rather be at the ball and she doesn't like having to spend the day here. And she wants to go to the ball because she wants to go flirt with all the men and dance with them, which, you know, fair enough. But um, she is again just protesting and saying that she would rather, she's so happy to be here when it's very clear that she is not. So it's just again pointing out that she never actually says what she means, which is horrible. And Catherine could almost have accused Isabella of being wanting in tenderness towards herself and her sorrows. So very little did they appear to dwell on her mind, and so very inadequate was the comfort she offered. It's just Catherine is finally growing up a little bit. Um, not quite there yet, because she only could almost have accused Isabella. 
but it is very clear from the outside as a reader looking in that yes Isabella has zero tenderness for Catherine for how upset she is because Isabella is just obsessed with herself and her own feelings and doesn't really have time for anybody else and their feelings and she's saying how it's the Tilney's fault because they were not punctual enough but they came if they were supposed to be there at noon and the rain didn't stop till like 15 minutes after and they were walking towards the house by what 12:45 they saw them on the street if they left at 12:30 I mean they weren't that late they must have left pretty as soon as they were sure the rain was going to stop so that makes absolutely no sense and is is just Isabella being Isabella and trying to justify something that really isn't justifiable and then she's trying to make it seem like she and John are just so much better people because they have such a better disposition. And here again, I think she's trying to push Catherine towards John um, to try and su support a relationship between the two of them and make her dislike the Tilneys by point saying that they're the ones in the wrong, they're the problem. Um, she's trying to gum up the works between Catherine and the Tilneys, make that go away so that Catherine is available to the Thorps instead. And it's very clear and open and Catherine doesn't get it because Catherine doesn't get a lot, but it's very clear. It's just another example of how now Isabella is joining her brother in being the worst. And then the, at the, the last paragraph of this chapter, the narrator comes out to be snarky again. And just says, and now I may dismiss my heroine to the sleepless couch, which is the true heroine's portion, to a pillow strewed with thorns and wet with tears, and lucky may she think herself, if she get another good night's rest in the course of the next three months. <laughs> I just love these moments when the narrator comes out and gets to be all sarcastic and snarky with us. So, but I mean, it's just in this roundabout way is letting us know that Catherine is really upset, as we would expect. I think mostly at being thought rude and thought ill of by the Tilney. She doesn't want that for the world. She doesn't want that. She wants to. She wants them to really like her, and so this is not helping that goal. And she's mad at the Thorps, justifiably. And. Yeah, another bad chapter for Catherine. Things are not looking good. She had a bad day. And she had a bad time. And now she's worried that the Tilneys might hate her forever. And it's very sad. And that's where we leave her. And so next time I will be back with chapter 12 when hopefully Catherine will have a slightly better time. If you have anything to add to the conversation, whether you would like to agree or disagree with me, if you have something to say about Northanger Abbey or Jane Austen in general or something I've gotten wrong about England or something along those lines, anything at all really. If you'd like to join in, send me an email. My email is imolcorner at gmail.com. That's in my own little corner, imolcorner at gmail.com. And I will see you next time with chapter 12.